Hello, welcome to TKC. Now, we have a different style of show for you today, because today we're going to venture further, deeper, into the world of entrepreneurialism with the King's Entrepreneurship Institute. And just before we begin, I have some questions for you. What is entrepreneurship? What are startups? What is the King's 20 Accelerator? And why would universities get involved in startups? Well, we're about to find out that and much more. This is TKC Bright Sparks. today is the wonderful Holly Noah, Head of Ventures at King's Entrepreneurship Institute. Hello, Holly. Hi, David. Fantastic to have you on the show. Uh, if you don't mind, uh, tell us a bit about yourself and the King's 20 Accelerator at the Entrepreneurship Institute. Of course. So I run the King's 20 Accelerator program where I support 20 of the brightest ventures across the university to build, scale and ultimately take over the world. Since 2016, we've seen 100 outstanding ventures who have kickstarted their entrepreneurial journeys at the heart of the King's 20 Accelerator. That's 100 ventures that have innovatively developed solutions to 100 of the world's most pressing challenges from cancer diagnostic tools, innovative talent matching platforms to rapid advancements in community development to delicious plant-based consumables. Ooh, sounds tasty. Now, if you wouldn't mind, as I can't help but noticing that we've got 100 ventures for 100 novel and innovative solutions... Does that mean that we have 100 companies by any chance? Absolutely. So I'm delighted to share that this week we launched an exceptional campaign called Bright Sparks, 100 entrepreneurial answers to some of the world's most pressing challenges. This is a celebration of the remarkable talent, disruptive problem solvers and outstanding entrepreneurial mindsets who have taken it upon themselves to change the world for the better. I like the fact you said disruptive problem solvers there because disrupt, being disruptive is uh, something Julie said when I interviewed her. So there's some wonderful continuity there. Uh, I do have some questions about this. So 100 startups have been through the King's 20 Accelerator. Who are the stars and who's done really well, would you say? This is a tricky one because over the years, we've seen so many amazing ventures that are solving an array of problems related to healthcare, education, the environment, equality and inefficiency. However, naturally, we do have a couple of stars in which we've closely kept our eyes on over the last couple of years. Um, so just to name a few, we have Hackerjob, which is an innovative approach to talent recruitment. German craft beer and mm. on-site beer production, reducing carbon emissions that are produced through the packaging and transportation, which is based at Mercato Metropolitano over in Borough Market. Panakia, an AI-based platform, eliminating the need for multiple lab tests. And additionally, we have Obrism, which are a cloud-based learning platform powered by artificial intelligence for adaptive learning and development programs on a global scale. So as you can see, some really diverse and hugely mm. different companies, but have all been absolutely pivotal in terms of developing the world for a better place. Very nice. I especially like the sound of craft beer. I'm sure. 
Out of interest, what did your accelerator contribute to their success in learning? So the accelerator is designed to take entrepreneurs on a co-created journey. So we've built a concrete intensive three-month program, which is designed to equip ventures with the fundamental knowledge they need to succeed and scale. But of course, on its own, this wouldn't be enough. We have an absolutely phenomenal team of experts in residence that provide tailored one-to-one support to all of the 20 ventures we have on our program. We're also massive peer-to-peer advocates and therefore we have hugely encouraged and supported the development of a strong and meaningful like-minded community. So whilst we have a huge amount of support from our external organizations and partners, we really value the support that our ventures can contribute and share with each other. Um, And that plays a very key part of the learning process of the King's 20. Mm, That makes perfect sense. And we all know what uh, your kind of tokenistic, stereotypical entrepreneurs are like. I don't even need to name any of them. But what are your entrepreneurs like? What would you say some of the traits are? And and yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued. They are absolutely phenomenal. They are some of the most courageous, passionate and daring individuals I've ever had the opportunity to work with. But I think one thing that really stands us very differently at the Entrepreneurship Institute is that we're building ventures, skills and people. So we're equipping our entrepreneurs with the ability to think of new approaches, creating individuals that are willing to propose better ways of thinking and doing, whilst proving their resilience and adaptability. We're really encouraging our teams to bring together very strong and diverse teams and compel others to come on board with their vision. We need more entrepreneurial people to lead the way. And this is very much a mindset that we foster at the heart of the King's 20. Mm, That's a very strong foundation. I like the sound of that. And uh, I, I do wonder, how, how can you improve diversity amongst entrepreneurs so that, you know, we've got a nice widespread range of people? Because I think diversity brings a lot of elements and strengthens things ultimately. Absolutely. So we've seen over the last couple of years a huge amount of diversity in the number of firstly students that are joining us, but secondly, the entrepreneurs in which we're seeing directly come through the King's 20. It's our belief that entrepreneurship can be embedded and fostered amongst various different faculties and sectors. And therefore, we have a passion and commitment to support any individual that is interested in being part of an entrepreneurial ecosystem. And therefore, for us, diversity is really giving everyone the opportunity to be involved in shaping the future for a better world. And we're here to support them on their journey to do so. And that makes perfect sense. Now, uh, I do wonder, which startups have gone on to employ others? So today, we have seen just over 400 jobs which have been contributed to the UK economy across the 100 companies in which have been through the King's 20 Accelerator. So absolutely phenomenal given the stage in which the ventures have come onto the program that they have really managed to create a very safe environment for employees and and ultimately contributing to the UK economy in such huge numbers in a very short space of time. So... This isn't the easiest question to ask, but I have to go ahead and and ask away. 
are all of these companies money motivated? Are they just in it for the money or what? Is it for the prestige, the progression? I'm, I'm genuinely intrigued. It's a very topical subject and our ventures are far from motivated by money. If anything, it is the complete opposite. So we've recently undertaken an exploratory research into the motivations of an entrepreneur here in the UK in collaboration with YouGov which has revealed some really interesting insights in terms of why individuals are keen to become an entrepreneur and what their own motivations were. And predominantly, we saw a significant response rate in terms of being motivated by money. However, I'm really delighted to share that 82% of the ventures that have been through the King's 20 have said their biggest motivations were collectively to solve problems and drive change and effective solutions. Awesome. Absolutely. So it's very different to the generic perception externally in terms of why individuals are intentionally becoming entrepreneurs. Mm. That's cool to know. I'm just a fan. As a musician, artist myself, I, I like knowing that people are just exploring and trying to answer questions instead of just going for the big buck, so to speak. Not to say I wouldn't love loads of money. Uh, and speaking of money, did some of these companies go bust? I, I know it's not the easiest uh, question to ask or maybe answer, but yeah, did, did some of your uh, companies go bust? And what did they get out of the process? So 69% of the ventures in which joined us as part of the King's 20 Accelerator are still trading to this very day. Nice. For those ventures which are no longer trading, we've seen rapid pivots. Um, so some of the founders in which previously joined the King's 20 Accelerator have now gone on to either launch a new startup or collectively and collaboratively join another startup that have previously been on the venture. Mm. Um, so as much as they may no longer be trading in the same capacity, they have gained a huge amount of entrepreneurial skills, which have really enhanced their employability options going forward. I love that. There's, there's a really uh, good saying that I may or may not have used in a previous episode, which is in life there's winning and there's learning. And I, I heard someone say once, uh, forgive me for not remembering who, that you only have to win once. All of your failures don't mean anything because it's all experience. So it's, it's, it's great to hear this, really, that people are being shaped regardless of the level of success of a project. That's, that's cool. Absolutely. And I think the big thing around entrepreneurship is that failure always has such negative connotations, mm. whereas actually the journey an entrepreneur will go through, nine times out of 10, they will learn a huge amount more from elements that didn't necessarily go to plan than mm. those that did. And therefore, failure from an entrepreneurship perspective should be championed and we should be embracing it as a learning opportunity and an opportunity to share some of their individual learnings with each other I agree. to help and encourage others to learn, particularly from a peer-to-peer -peer perspective. That makes perfect sense. Okay, and now is the next segment of the show, and I'm very happy to say that we have two guests from two of the ventures, two bright stars in the uh, horizon of entrepreneurialism. And first of all, we have the company Advicely, radically transforming digital advertising needs. And on the show of us is the lead entrepreneur, Amar Mehta, uh, who's studying MSc in neuroscience. 
Now, Amar, please give us your elevator pitch. Yeah, sure. Well, thanks for the intro in the first case. You're most welcome. I guess what we're trying to do is we're trying to make it really, really easy for small to medium enterprises to advertise. And um, the way we do that is we're building a piece of software that facilitates a lot of the work and thinking that goes into it in a normal circumstance. So, Mm. um, for example, if you're a dentist or you own a hair salon or something like that, uh, all you need to do is is sign into our, uh, our piece of software that we're building, give us some information about who you are, connect your website, a few other connections like your Facebook page, and we'll use that information along with some other data we have to basically create a bit of a profile about who you are, what your business does, and then we essentially will do a lot of the thinking and executional work for you. So we'll recommend um, how we think you should advertise, what channels to use, how much money to spend, uh, and then we'll actually build some creative for you in real time. So we're building a piece of artificial intelligence that helps facilitate that. Wow. And uh, and then we basically put that all together and get it live for you and finally give you some information on how well that is doing, how much money you're making, uh, that kind of thing. So we're trying to make that whole process really, really simple um, for SMEs who really don't have some knowledge on how to do this correctly. They don't have much time and uh, money is is usually spent on other things so we're trying to reduce the cost of that as well that's that's intriguing so it's like you're a hybrid of an advertising company and an agent as well and a manager kind of all neatly wrapped into one that's that's really cool yeah that's kind of a good way to put it it's very kind of combining a lot of different things so it's part software and part brain and um, part creative as well so we're just trying to put everything together so it's all in one place and and make it as easy as possible for the end user i think it's always a great idea to have a hub of activity because the amount of social media pages i've got for different enterprises it's uh yeah it makes very cohesive sense no definitely we're trying to just um simplify everything as much as possible and we sort of talk about it cheesily internally that we're trying to be the uber of advertising so you know you really just jump on your phone or very quickly on um our software on your computer and in a couple of seconds in theory you should be up and running with some ads so we know that small to medium enterprise owners and, and marketing people are often extremely busy. Um, mm. So we're trying to take away all that time, take away all the clutter that's in their mind um, by just organizing everything in one place. And then, like I said, executing it and giving back information around how well all the ads are doing, yeah. um, which is often more complicated to know how to record if you're not familiar with how to do this normally. Absolutely. And I, I think that's uh, a pretty sweet kind of buzz term to use there the uber of advertising i mean <laughs> why not go for the most recognizable thing that's easily ready it makes sense to me yeah i think for a lot of um smes they probably don't want to hear jargon around the advertising world in general as well because they probably mm. just don't understand it and so it seems a little bit cliched or a little bit naff and um, to say oh we're the uber of advertising but actually maybe to them it kind of it makes it instantly understandable in terms of what we're trying to do. It's just easy uh, and simple, and it's all there for you, um, which is kind of the idea. That makes sense. I think uh, people always appreciate something being palatable and easy to digest. Uh, and, well, our second guest on the show, our second venture, is Grand Nanny, disrupting the childcare market. And on the show with us today, we have Adele Aitchison, studying an MSc in gerontology and English literature. So, first of all, welcome to the show. And if you wouldn't mind, Adele, give us your elevator pitch for Grand Nanny. Hello. Thanks so much for having us. You're welcome. So, 
Grandnanny is the UK's first intergenerational childcare service. Um, mm. That basically means that we're supporting midlife and older job seekers who have childcare experience into rewarding childcare roles with local families. Mm. So practically we're providing enhanced DBS checks, pediatric first aid, safeguarding training and running payroll just to make the whole connection easier. Um, and we're doing that because we know that intergenerational connections can really improve age empathy and development for children, as well mm. as enhancing uh, mental, physical and financial well-being for the grand nannies that we're working with. I like that. That, that to me, makes a lot of cohesive sense. I mean, it's for want of a better, I won't say killing two birds at once, I'll say feeding two birds with one scone. I, I, I like that because it, to me, again, it makes sense for having a gap in the market because you always hear about old people being lonely, be it they're not getting interaction or it's hard to find employment. And I think it's a very powerful thing that's not always understood enough to kind of bond between a young person and a very old person like your grandparents. Uh, yeah. Because they can give the wisdom and knowledge that uh, someone kind of in the middle age demographic doesn't quite have. So that's, and I mean, for instance, my myself, I, I lost my grandparents very young, unfortunately. So it, it's it's kind of, I, I think it's quite sweet, really, to know that you're making this connection and, yeah, unifying and ticking multiple boxes. Yeah, totally. I think you, you hit the nail on the head there in terms of the loneliness pandemic. Um, and it's something that affects both children um, and adults and also older adults. It's affecting all of us. So trying mm. to find a solution for that whilst also disrupting childcare, as you say, is um, is really important to us. Yeah, it makes sense. And I always say, I mean, I have a child myself, but well, he's, he's nine. But uh, you, you always hear about how uh, difficult it is to get child care and then there is as you've said of dbs checks it's a genuine concern finding someone who you think you can trust so it's it's nice that you're basically tying up all of those loose ends it just makes stuff so much easier yeah trying to take out some of that hassle um we know that there's a lot of admin for parents and trying to find someone that's good someone that's going to turn up on time someone that has experience someone that's local you know, it's a huge headache. Um, and given how much uh, time and money parents are spending on the issue of childcare, um, it's kind of long overdue uh, mm. innovation. Our mission is to see grandnannies at every school gate across the UK by 2025. So we have some pretty ambitious targets uh, to, to meet that. Very nice. So moving into part two, and... I'm gonna try and scratch underneath the surface a bit more here. So if uh, you guys wouldn't mind, I wanna know, tell us a bit more about your startup. I, how did you get started? Where did the idea come from? How did you identify the problem, the solution? And what do you see at the end of the goal for this project? What's the end game? Talk to me. Let's, uh, let's go over Mar first. Yeah, sure. So for us, it was almost the idea's genesis was very cliched from an advertising point of view, where it was a bunch of us colleagues in a bar having a pint after a hard day's worth of work, dealing with some difficult clients, shall we say. And um, we sort of thought, well, why can't we make this whole system a little bit easier? Um, and for some additional context, myself and one of my other um, uh, other co-founders, we also started our careers in the accounting world. 
and the accounting world is pretty good at having um, automation and workflow software that already exists to make the life of the accountant a little bit easier as well as the clients. And so we sort of thought, well, you know, why doesn't something like this exist in our industry? There, there's loads of um, clever people in our world. There's loads of interesting stuff that we do, but we often spend a lot of time kind of burning hours on things that probably could be automated at this stage in, um, in the 2020s. And so we sort of thought, okay, well, can we actually put something together? Um, one of the other co-founders who's a close friend of mine is, um, you know, one of those mass geniuses. And we sort of pitched to him one day saying, can we automate some of this sort of stuff? And his, his short answer was, yeah, this actually sounds pretty straightforward, which kind of surprised us. And mm -hmm. um, so we sort of realized we probably had something, at least from a technology point of view. Uh, and then we did a bunch of research that sort of figured out um, if we wanted to do something like this, actually where we could make it work and where there's quite a bit of need for people who um, could really use this sort of stuff was actually with smaller businesses, with small to medium enterprises, like I mentioned. And um, that sort of came up pretty quickly as kind of a, oh, hey, we can, we can bootstrap this. This is something we could build fairly quickly and get in front of these types of businesses and really help them out. Um, so the genesis of the idea was really, you know, that old cliche, it started uh, in some ways on the back of a napkin in a pub. Mm. Uh, and now now we're sort of here building the software. And what we're trying to hope to, to get out of the whole thing in the end is we want to have this really nice platform where, and it will sound a bit cheesy, but we're, we're trying to help people take their passions to the world. And I think one of the things that, um, you know, small to medium enterprise owners they tend to be doing stuff that really matters to them. It's it's their interest, it's their personal passion, and they do it because they love it, but also because um, you know it helps give them a lifestyle that they want as well. And to be honest, they probably just don't really care that much about the technical stuff. So they use an accountant, so their accounting work can be taken care of. They use a lawyer for the same thing. And so we want to try to be that, and we'll take care of all that sort of stuff so you can focus on your passion. And so that's kind of where we think we sort of sit. We're, we're kind of a useful business function that really helps you as the SME owner to focus on what it is you do. Um, so longer term, we hope we're kind of well bedded in with that ecosystem for a lot of SME owners. And we, we're something that they sort of reach to quickly when they want to think about how to grow their business. Can I just uh, ask you, I mean, first of all, it's interesting how many things start in a pub. <laughs> uh, most of my life seems to start there, or finish there, I should say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what does SME stand for? SME stands for small to medium enterprise. So I think some some people also refer to it as SMB, which is the same thing, small to medium business. And mm. the definition actually depends, uh, it varies rather, depending on who you're talking to. So we use that term um, to refer to a company that has between zero and 150 employees. Okay. And so obviously they're not massive companies, um, but the range is quite wide. Mm. And one of the challenges for us in developing this is actually figuring out um, within that wide range who we want to focus on to begin with. And so some of the examples I gave, like a dentist or a um a hair salon owner is our sweet spot. I think at least in the early days is probably those companies that have between sort of one and maybe 50, com uh, 50 employees. Uh, and we probably still need to narrow that down to be honest. Okay. Adele, same question to you. I think I can trace the roots for grand nanny um, back to childhood. Um, it was interesting that you mentioned mm. your granddad uh, earlier um, so my mum ran a nursery from our family home in Lancashire and um, she actually employed an older childminder to run it with her 
so I think I think kind of deep down there was something something there from childhood um and also my grandparents lived just 20 minutes away from us so they were really involved in my childcare growing up they would pick me up from school very often and look after me while my mum and dad were working Mm. um and over the years my granddad really became one of my closest friends um, and I'd often ring him for advice, um, you know, even in my early 20s, uh, right up until he kind of passed away. He was a, a real friend and a confidant. Um, so at that point, uh, when he passed away, I joined a local befriending organisation and they're called North London Cares. And what they do is really amazing. They match up younger and older neighbours for mutual social benefit. So at the same time, I was working in advertising, interestingly, given um, Advisely and, and what those, they're, they're doing. Um, and I was looking around at my colleagues in ad agencies who are also parents, and they just seemed so stressed with the lack mm. of childcare, um, especially wraparound care, that, that kind of 3 to 7, 3 to 8 p.m. at night spell. Um, and I thought, okay, here's two sets of people that I think can really help each other out. So at that point, I met Sarah, who is Grand Nanny's co-founder, and um, she has amazing professional experience working in tech agencies, as well as personal experience trying to find the ideal childcare for her twin girls. Um, so it was, she was kind of the catalyst for, for turning an idea into action. I, I love this story. I have to say it's, it's very cinematic, the, the way it literally goes from childhood and all of these progressive stages until you just had this eureka moment and everything, all of the pieces of the puzzle came together. It's very cool. Yeah, it's funny. You think, <laughs> I think when you sometimes hear these stories, you think, you know, somebody's thought very carefully about that and pieced it together. But in this case, um, yeah, that is absolutely the, you know, the truth of the situation. It, it, it was, you know, my mum was an early years professional um, and I grew up, you know, in this early years setting, helping out at the nursery um, in holidays and things. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I mean, it, it shaped you and in many ways you're just putting back into the wonderful experiences you had that others might not be having. So that's very noble. Now, let's go into the next round of questions. What are your motivations? Simple question could be a big answer. Amar, you first. Yeah, sure. It's a good question because it's actually kind of hard to pin down to just one or two things. But um, maybe there's sort of almost like an inherent personality type for me in general where I'm not a massive fan of, you know, authority and, and kind of having to work for someone more broadly. So a lot of it for me is actually that kind of freedom that comes with it. Autonomy. Yeah, autonomy, definitely. Um, there's lots of, you know, obviously stresses and, and challenges with um, entrepreneurship in general. And I'm sure I'm going to come across some days coming up pretty soon where I wish I never did it. But I do really like the fact that I'm sort of in, in the driver's seat, if that makes sense. Mm. Oh, I vibe it completely. Yeah, it's it's very sort of um, freeing and in actually many ways quite fulfilling as well. Totally. And you sort of, you get out of it what you put in and uh, there's a lot of direction that you can take with it. So I think that that's um, quite a big motivation for me. The other side of it is is actually just um, there's a lot of general interest for me in sort of technology and, and the way the world is um, moving generally and I think the workspace more broadly. Um, and there was some element of me which sort of thought, well, the advertising world in general is probably going to move in this direction. 
it makes sense for you to start learning what this is all about from a technology point of view and take some of these risks now while you're um, you know sort of relatively young and don't have too many um, things to worry about relative to let's say if I was uh, five years older and um, so it felt like the right time um, to kind of continue learning figuring these things out um, as well as kind of breaking away from the more cliched nine to five and kind of going let's do this on my own sort of thing so some sort of broad motivations but they do seem to kind of be a big part of why I'm doing this and I'm sure like everyone you know there's a hope that it will be successful and you can say um, you know you've you've been a part of building something really exciting which which is sort of a, a nice little uh, icing on the top if, if that eventuates as well. I feel that as being a, both a musician and artist and creating the King's Court with George the producer I couldn't agree more with Absolutely. that fulfilling labor of love sensation. Yeah. Uh, same question to you, Adele. What are your motivations? Talk to me. There are some big ones. Um, so uh, we know at the moment that the number of unemployed and underemployed over 50s is rising um, due to COVID-19. And at the same time, we know that working parents, especially mums, are dropping out of the workforce because we don't have enough reliable childcare. Mm. So this kind of intergenerational connection, I think, has never been more important. Um, so when you're thinking about these two big groups, um, that's very motivating. They're your customer. Uh, they're the people you're trying to um, bring some relief to. And I'm also uh, very proudly a feminist and childcare, in my view, is 100% a feminist issue in that, you know, we need childcare to be properly paid and respected as a profession and we also need enough of it that working mums and working parents of both genders have the choice to stay in work if that's what's right for them. So those those are the kind of the big lofty ones. <laughs> but then, but then I think I, I would agree that the autonomy was very uh, appealing to me personally, um, and being able to create a workplace where you set the culture, um, and that the culture is. Uh, a million times better than anywhere you might have been able to work with had you not um, set it up yourself. Um, and having that control also over creating value for all the shareholders in a business, I think, and all the stakeholders in a business, rather than it being kind of a top-down uh, setup is really important too. I, I agree fully. Okay, next question. What is an entrepreneur like in the 21st century? Over to you, Amar. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting because it feels like in the 21st century, everyone is sort of a mini entrepreneur in their own sense as well. It feels like everyone sort of has a bit of a side hustle, that kind of thing. Um, so in some sense, it doesn't actually feel that unique. But I, I think for me, the, the main thing has been um, kind of really trying to understand um, how to be quite resilient with everything. There are just so mm. many... Um, factors you have to kind of consider and I'm sure it's probably always been like this but it feels like um, for every company that starts up that's new there's a hundred different competitors um, there's a, it feels like there's a very crowded marketplace in general for a lot of different industries and technology has closed a lot of the um, high barriers to entry for a lot of industries so mm. there's just a lot of people trying to do things that uh, you're trying to do as well so there's, it feels for me that there's a lot of kind of effort that needs to be put in and trying to make yourself unique and trying to give yourself some level of uh, ability to shout out from everything else that's going on. 
Um, but the flip side of that, of course, is that it also feels more accessible in some sense. You can sort of get started and that back of the napkin type idea is, uh, feels more available. Um, and then the other side of that, obviously, is with COVID and with everything else going on, uh, it's probably going to be challenging in a way that um, we sort of can't really forecast for. Unprecedented. Yeah, it's totally unprecedented. We don't really know, um, you know how things are going to go. So there's a lot of a need for kind of adaptability and, mm. and doing a lot of things on the fly as well. But there's an element of it which is really fulfilling. Um, even for us, if we're able to sort of help a lot of these companies, let's say, who are struggling because of COVID and cash flow is tight, and we give them a bit of an opportunity to get their name out there uh, much cheaper than they ordinarily would have, you know, and hopefully drive some business for them. It feels mm. like in some small way we can help despite what's going on. So it's it's a bit of a mixed bag in terms of what it's like this century, but uh, pros and cons, I guess. Absolutely. Uh, so same to you, Adele. What is an entrepreneur like in the 21st century? It's funny. I don't know that it's any different. I mean, we haven't known any difference, so how would we know? But um, I suppose the, the tenets of an entrepreneur – um, to me are those of kind of grit, grace and graft, um, which is becoming something of a motto for me. I like it. Um, so, you know, grit in that you have to be able to stick at it when the doors mm. are being closed in your face or you're met with obstacles um, or you're, you're just faced with things that you haven't done before, which is a daily um, event <laughs> in the life of an entrepreneur. Um Grace, I think, is important because that's, to me, about remaining composed and mm. also maintaining kind of care of yourself and your team, even when you are working um, at a fast pace and to deadlines. Um, and graft, you know, it's a, it's largely about hard work. As I said, I think having the idea is just one small element of being an entrepreneur um, and actually turning it into re a reality and a reality that works for all of your customers, stakeholders, shareholders uh, is hard, and you have to you have to be able to graft away to make it happen. I'm I'm a big fan of that saying: grit, grace, and graft. Very nice, very nice indeed. So, next question: What are some of your favourite aspects of being an entrepreneur, Amar? Yeah, I guess I probably sort of alluded to some of it before, but that freedom mm. component, um, I really enjoy personally. Um, but there was also something Adele said, which I, I also find really, really nice, which is you can sort of set the tone for your culture, um, for how mm. you're going to build your business, what it can be like, and you can sort of create something that uh, hopefully drives value for everyone that's involved. Um, and that that's sort of been quite a new thing for me. Um, career-wise, you know, especially early stage of the career, it is still pretty hierarchical um, and you always feel like you're doing stuff for somebody else maybe that you can't see um, and that you sort of feel like you're a bit of a cog in a big machine, whereas this feels very much like, hey, you can you can really create something for all the people that are involved to have some level of input. You are the machine. Yeah, you are the machine in, 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 in many ways. So, But there's a nice way of kind of crafting the machine in a way that I think makes sense for mm. um, you know, a new business that, that wants to try and be not just good for ourselves in the pocket, but maybe for society in some way as well. So Very nice. there's a lot of kind of niceness in crafting it in your way, which I, I quite enjoy. Mm. Okay, so same question to you, Adele. What are some of your favorite aspects of being an entrepreneur? I think it's probably the people. Um, 
I love being in the entrepreneurial world. Um, the people that you come across, they're just quite uh, extraordinary and they're all completely different. I don't think there is kind of an entrepreneurial type, um, but there is a real generosity uh, amongst certainly early stage um, startups and actually even the more established ones. Um, you know, we've had lovely offers to be introduced to Borrow My Doggy. We've spoken to people at Trusted House Sitters. We've spoken to other childcare providers. And I think everyone is aware of how tricky it can be in your first couple of years and very willing to pass on their learnings. Uh, mm. So I love that. I love that about it. I also love talking to customers. So the privilege of being at the beginning of a journey is that uh, you are the one making the sales. You're the one on the phone, in our case, to the parents or to the grandnannies. And I love hearing their personal stories um, and especially the success stories when we bring a parent together with a child carer who you know lives just around the corner from them. Uh, and it's just this perfect sort of combination of people um, that's that's usually fulfilling. And I also like the aspect that you get out what you put in in entrepreneurship. You can literally see the fruits of your labor uh, kind of coming to life. Mm. Very nice. So I've got a few more questions, and uh, this is one of the classics. So without further ado, which entrepreneurs, maybe someone who's not, inspire you? Good question. Um, I'll choose one that's probably the first person that comes to mind. is probably a bit cliche, but maybe for different reasons. So I quite like Elon uh, as an entrepreneur, but not really. I, th I think a lot of people like him. Um, I mean, he's controversial in some ways, but a lot of people seem to like him for some of the technology things that he has pushed forwards and kind of done a really good job of. But one of the things I sort of find him quite interesting for is um, he sort of did something, at least in my mind, that I thought was hyper unique in that he introduced that kind of uh, Silicon Valley style investment uh, platform to heavy industry. Mm. And so I think he gets a lot of credit for being sort of creative from an engineering point of view, but I actually think his real sort of secret source is how he brought a whole new uh, investment way of thinking into a whole new industry. And it sort of has really transformed how you do a lot of things in those areas. Um, and so by doing that, he sort of broke through a lot of barriers that were there. I, I think I'd heard um, with SpaceX, one of the reasons why uh, they were able to get off the ground. Um, so a lot of the other aerospace companies that were involved in that field and um, they basically operated like an oligopoly and they would lobby to Congress to to tell NASA basically to only ever use um, uh, rockets that could be used once. Wow. And so you could never really break into that field unless you have billions of dollars. Mm. And whereas the technology was already there. So he just went, well, actually, I'm going to fund this in a way that's much more like how you would have funded Amazon or Facebook. So we can get the money up front and we don't have to make profit straight away and we can actually enter this arena and completely transform it. So there's sort of a lot of learning and quite a lot of admiration I have from that side of things with him, which I find just interesting. It's a really creative and different way of thinking. Um, and then very quickly, I suppose there's one other person that I liked in general. Uh, he's not an entrepreneur, but he is the guy who I think is the current CEO of the Marriott group of hotels. And I believe it was his dad who um, started the company and they became this sort of very famous American family and one of their family friends was President Eisenhower. And he has this anecdote about how um, when Eisenhower was at his house one day, 
um, they were deciding what to do that evening and, and President Eisenhower said to him, uh, Bill Marriott, um, what do you want to do? And he said he took that as part of his management philosophy going forwards, which was he made sure to ask, you know, every level of his staff, you know, what do you think? What's your input? How do you think we should do this? Nice. I like that. Yeah. And so it, it, always, it just has really felt, it sort of resonated with me in the sense that as I'm sort of building this company, um, there's going to be a lot of people who will have really good ideas and be able to give a lot of insight at all levels and at all different um, designations. So it's worth kind of listening to that. So true. Those are two people that sort of come to mind straight away, even though um, Bill Marriott wasn't an entrepreneur in the classic sense. No, but it makes perfect sense. I think it's essential to listen at all levels. That's what a great leader does because you never know the kind of genius that might be behind the door at a certain level that doesn't have that chance to speak up usually. Absolutely. So same question to you, Adele. Which entrepreneurs, or maybe not, inspire you? So I'm going to mention two who hopefully you haven't heard of so that you can go away and Google them. <laughs> no pressure. The first is uh, somebody who's actually a member of the King's 20 with us. Uh, so her name is oh. Josephine Phillips, and she is launching Sojo which is Deliveroo, but for clothes alterations. Um, and I just think her venture has a huge potential in terms of helping people who love to shop secondhand get the perfect fit for their clothes. And I love that she is taking on fast fashion at a time when people are aware that something needs to be done about that issue. Um, mm. So she's one. She's obviously earlier in her sort of career in, in entrepreneurship. And then the other... Uh, is a woman called Lauren Curry. So she is a service designer uh, who also has an OBE. And she is the CEO actually of a couple of businesses. Uh, but the one in particular that I love is called Stride. And Stride is an app that democratizes leadership training so that we can kind of get out of the spiral of cookie cutter leaders mm. um, and see, you know, all sorts of different people taking up leadership roles. And I think that kind of diversity in senior positions is really critical to moving businesses forward in terms of their practices and also in terms of who they serve. I agree. Very nice. So uh, this, again, could be a controversial question. It just gets to mind your own business, Dave. But uh, I'm intrigued to know, for the court, do you have any endeavours that you're at liberty to mention? First to you, Amal. Well, there's nothing sort of too exciting, I think. Um, maybe just um, back home I have a small company as well, and we're trying to introduce um, some new skincare products to the market, which is kind of exciting. And um, yeah. very, yeah, and very sort of um, personally, once uh, uni is out the way, which will be done next week, um, I've been Congrats. meaning, yeah, thank you, been meaning uh, to start writing actually um, just a little bit of a short story type compendium about my experiences in the advertising industry. So there's a lot of crazy stories, Adele, I'm sure you probably know of many as well, which are quite funny and, and very stupid, to be perfectly honest. And it'd just be a bit of fun, I think, to... Memoirs of an advertiser. <laughs> it'd be quite fun to just jot some of that stuff down. So those are some things that I want to do, uh, you know, in the future. Sounds great. Same question to you, Adele. Do you have any more endeavors that you're at liberty to mention? Well, I can certainly give some stories to those memoirs, I think, from my time in advertising. <laughs> um, so we should talk about that. Um, but yeah, Grand Nanny 
is the first of a group of social impact businesses that Sarah and I have our sites set on. Um, they will all center on intergenerational connections. Um, and just at the moment, we're looking at which sectors um, are, are going to be the best ones and which would be sort of creating advantageous partnerships to both groups of people. Excellent. You know, I, that was me thinking when I thought of that question. They're probably just going to say mind your own business or nothing. But yeah, I love the fact that you guys have your fingers in multiple pies. I mean, but you're entrepreneurs, so it makes perfect sense. And uh, another question, a classic, if you will. What tips would you give uh, to people who have startup ideas? Basically, how would one move into the wide world of entrepreneurialism? Amar, you. Uh, well, maybe um, my advice will look poor in the future if I sort of crash and burn and fail. But um, I guess the main thing, which has actually been really sort of drummed into us through the uh, Accelerator program with Kings as well, is just really validate your idea. Uh, I think it's really important mm. to sort of um, find out as much as you can about whether or not people will actually pay for this or actually use it. Because there are loads of good ideas, I think, which um you know really really are good ideas but there just isn't necessarily a market for that for it mm. in the way that you might think there's a bit of psychology to it all so as much as you can sort of yeah validate find out and maybe the other thing is just choose something that you're probably passionate in more generally so you know think about things that impact your life um that you care about uh, i think it's probably an easier way to sort of generate some ideas and uh, as a starting point for and where you want to go instead of starting with the biggest problem in the world in the first place. Very, very strong answers there. Uh, same question to you, Adele. What tips would you give for anyone in this burgeoning world of entrepreneurialism? Well, yeah, I would totally agree with those answers. Um, the the onus is really on testing the idea, testing that it's sound, validating it, checking that you've got market traction. Mm. Try just a small, just a small step first see if someone will you know sign up for your idea give you their email address then see you know might they pay for it how much might they pay for it um yeah start with small steps and then kind of build up and no code as a sort of theory of entrepreneurship is so useful you know we don't all need to be you know, hackers and uh, coders we can all build a website very easily now which is great so I think just trying it and then iterating. So, you know, don't lose heart if the first iteration isn't the right one. Just keep going. Um, go, goes back to grit, grace and craft, I think. <laughs> just keep going. Don't take no for an answer, but do definitely listen. That's so good because it kind of somewhat answers my next and final question for both of you. I'd like you in closing to give me three to five words of what being an entrepreneur means to you. Really, to sum it up, it's in almost in three words. It's a roller coaster, um, so there are lots of ups and downs. But you're sort of meant to enjoy the roller coaster as well. Um, it's it is meant to have some some downsides, and there are some elements where you just go, "Geez, this is tough," and why have I done that? But if you remember, it's all part of a journey, and you enjoy it um, more broadly. I think fail or succeed you'll get a hell of a lot out of it either way so yeah for me it's it's kind of think about it like that but remember that a roller coaster is fun i would say conviction compassion and humility i've always going to be in alliteration again <laughs> yeah, i think we have 
yeah, we have this idea of what an entrepreneur is, and I don't really 100% agree with it. I think there's an alternative uh, style and there's room, you know, it's a broad church, there's a room for everyone. Definitely. Wonderful. Uh, so, yeah, just one more thing. Uh, first of all, where can we follow you uh, as people, your companies and social media? You know, so please go ahead, Amar. Uh, where can people follow yourself and Advicely? Yeah, sure thing. So uh, head to our website, it's advicely.io. And um, you can find out a bit about the company there and obviously all our social media profiles and some info about myself and the other co-founders on there as well. Very nice. And Adele, Grandnanny, where can we follow you? So we are at www.grandnanny.co.uk um, and all of our socials and things are on there as well. Beautiful. So without further ado, Amar, Adele, thank you so much for being on the King's Court. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks very much, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks so much. See you. Wonderful. Keep on trucking, guys. Okay, so... Now we are at the end of the show, and I have to say, this has been absolutely fantastic. I loved having guests on, loved hearing about Advice Lee and Grandnanny and Holly. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show, and uh, I hope this is the first episode of many. Absolutely. We'd love to be involved in the future. Fantastic. And before you go, where can we follow you and the Entrepreneurship Institute online? You can find us on KCL's main website under the King's Entrepreneurship Institute. And equally, we're very active across all social media channels with the following of Innovate Kings. Excellent. Well, yeah, let's uh, let's have you back on the show real soon. Uh, so Holly, Holly Noah, thank you so much for coming onto the King's Court. Thank you for having us. And that was TKC Bright Sparks. Come back for another installment sometime. Until then, keep on trucking.